0: doesn't, does Come on in and find yourself a comfortable seat. As I just said, my name is Derek Hayes, and this is my program. If this is your first time, allow me to summarize the premise. Real stories from real experiencers submitted to my 24-hour hotline. These calls range from ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, monsters, mysteries, and more they all seem to have one thing in common. They've all been submitted by listeners like you and listeners like Jesse out of my former home state of Ohio.
1: Hi,
2: my name's Jesse. I live in Ohio, Akron, home of LeBron. I grew up being a skeptic on all of this stuff, which is one of the things that actually drew me to your show, because I feel like I really enjoy the fact that you try to come up with logical explanations for things with all the stories that come in. And as a kid, you know, I was still interested in that type of stuff. Ohio is known for a lot of haunted things, crybaby bridges and whatnot. And my friends and I would go around and, and try to check out a lot of that stuff. So I've been to cemeteries and haunted houses and crybaby bridges and all types of stuff throughout my life, and nothing ever happened. And so uh, I've never seen any ghosts, I've never experienced any aliens or anything, at least anything that I could definitively say I felt was paranormal. And so one year, I was about 18 years old, there was a place in Peninsula, Ohio, it's called Boston Township. It's also known as Helltown by the people who live nearby. And allegedly there's supposed to be a lot of haunted things that go on there. There's a crybaby bridge, there's a cemetery that's supposed to have a ghost in it with the trees that move on their own. There's a haunted road that they call the highway to hell, which will wreck your car. And so because this place was supposed to be so haunted, my friends and I decided, you know, this had to be stop number one. So I'm about 18 years old. I'm in a car with my friend Cody. It's just me and him. And it's probably around seven o'clock around fall time. So we are driving through. It's clear night. It's dark, but it's not pitch black. And we check out all this stuff. We do the baby bridge, nothing happens. We go to the cemetery, there's not even a tree there to be able to move on its own. And it just seems like a really big downer. So at the last second, we decide before we go, we're like, okay, we're gonna check out the end of the highway to hell where there's supposedly this ghostly purse that's supposed to chase you out of town. And as you drive down, it's a winding road that goes you know, through these hills. And at the end of it, there's about a quarter mile stretch of straight road. So when you get to that, at the very end, there's a perfectly sharp 90-degree turn that you have to slow down to go around. It's like a 15-mile-an-hour turn, otherwise you'll go straight off the road. And at the top, there's a very high-peaked hill, and then when you get to the bottom, there's a house there. We got there, we get out, we don't see anything, nothing seems creepy, and we decide to leave, and we're very disappointed. So we start to come back, and as we're leaving down the straightaway, that quarter-mile stretch of road, I see these headlights come flying around the turn, when I say flying, I mean, I'm talking like Tokyo Drift. And uh, this car comes speeding up and gets behind us. Now, I can't say that it was a hearse because they had their rights on and it was very difficult to see what the vacant model of this car was. But there's only one way in and out. and I'm still a skeptic and I assume that it's the person from that house and they just happen to be leaving for the night. So we're leaving and as we start making some random turns to leave, this car is right behind us. And I tell my buddy Cody, I go, hey, make a couple of turns. This car seems like it's following us. Like, make some random turns and see what happens. So he goes right. It comes right. We go left. It goes left. And it follows us, you know, some pretty random routes. So it's clearly following us. We're not on the way anywhere. We've gone in circles pretty much. So eventually we turn into a parking lot and the car drives past. and We're very relieved. And we go to leave the parking lot and we can hear the tires shriek as this thing turns around I mean it must have hit a u-turn so quick and it got right back on our bumper so at this point you know we're 18 it's just us two we're not armed or anything else we're thinking crazy man at this point not necessarily ghost and I mean we're just terrified so we're booking it out it's about a three mile stretch into the woods to get to this area and we're going he's right on our bumper the whole time we're speeding I mean the guy's following us dangerously close. And as we get to the edge of the city or township, whatever it is, there's the sign there that you see when you leave cities and stuff. It says, Now Exiting Boston Township. And as we cross the sign, I look back, and the car is gone. Uh, It's the only thing that's ever happened to me in my life that I at least think could possibly be paranormal. Uh, And it's the only thing I've never been able to explain. I've been back to Helltown multiple times, and this has happened to me Not every time, but this has happened probably five or six times at various times of the day. That particular time was about 7 p.m., but I've also been there at 1 a.m., 3 a.m., you know, in the evening time, right around sunset. And maybe five or six times out of a dozen trips, this has happened to me where the guy chases us. And as soon as you get to the town edge, you know, he's gone. And the road where you're leaving, there's no turn there. It's a straightaway road. There is a hill behind you, but, I mean, he's traveling very close to us, and I I just can't explain the disappearance of it. It's not beyond me to think that this is a guy who gets his kicks from keeping a legend going and scaring, you know, local kids that come near his property, but I can't understand where this car goes as soon as you leave Boston Township. So that's my story. The only part of Helltown that I think is possibly legitimate is the ghostly hearse. If that is what the car is, I still, you know, like I said, I can't see the make and model, but it's definitely creepy. So thank you for letting me share my story and uh, keep up the good work.
0: Thanks, Jesse. My wife grew up just a few short minutes from Boston Township and the town of Peninsula. And over the past decade or so, I've spent some considerable time in that area. In fact, our good friends were married there just a few short years ago, and Sarah and I were lucky enough to attend the celebration. So listen, I can attest, it's just one of those places that gives off a vibe. It's a bottom, or a holler if you will, albeit a big one, and those low-lying areas tend to collect some fog, and since much of that area is national park land, There is minimal light pollution, so it's nice and dark. And the place is jungle thick in the summer, and wasteland dead in the winter. I'm telling you, it's just one of those places. And it's also one of those places where people go to get away with things. Lovers in back seats, poachers, someone dumping a couch, someone dumping a body, someone tearing through the country roads... In their midlife crisis Hemi at 3 in the morning. So could it be that simple? Could it be just that that Jesse and his friend were harassed by that evening? A car full of drag racers that took their road rage just a little too far. Or possibly, like Jesse seemed to suggest, it could have been that phantom hearse so many others have already reported. Now, I'm sure I'll find my way back there sometime soon, and when I do, I'll take a little drive of my own. And if I do end up having the same experience that Jesse did, well, you know I'm gonna tell you about it. Thank you, Jesse, for calling in. Now, maybe you have some insight on the phantom car Jesse spoke about, or you just have a story you would like to have shared on the show. Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can shoot me an email with your recorded story at podcast at gmail.com. Oh, and I may as well remind you, please avoid calling from moving vehicles. The sound quality is just terrible. Oh, and if you do mention a photograph, an audio recording, a video, something like that in your call, please don't forget to submit that. On account of it being spooky season and all, I'm not going to waste any more time gabbing, and instead, I'll get right back into the action with this spooky little entry from Anthony here in California.
3: Hey, Derek. Anthony here from San Jose, California. I wanted to tell you about a couple of experiences I had while on the job site. I've been a low-voltage installer for about 12 years. That just means I do audio-visual work, fire alarms, and just, you know, 81 volts or less. Well, I was doing fire alarms for a company, and it was in a high-rise. 16 floors, downtown San Jose. Now, our buildings don't get very tall in San Jose because the airport... Planes fly directly over the downtown area as they descend for landing. Anyhow, it's only 16 floors, so you think it's you know it's not much. It's not that big of a deal. Well, we had to work through the night and the off-peak hours due to the fact that in this high-rise, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of lawyers that have their their establishments there on an entire floor, and not to mention you know countless other people that have space there. So we had to do our work without disturbing them. And if we, for any reason, trigger an alarm, we're going to evacuate the building. So this kind of work needs to be done at night. It took a really long time. And the first month or so that we were out there, no big deal. Nothing happened. You go under the 11th floor or, you know, some of the higher floors, and you just feel uncomfortable. It's extremely cold. But, you know, you're working and you don't really pay attention to things. Well, I had a buddy up with a guy, and we were going from floor to floor and it seemed as if the elevator bank across from us there was three on one side three on the other elevators it seemed as if someone was following us in another elevator like every time we got off the elevator the the other one on the other side would chime and open and you know there was nobody there was a night security guard somebody was always in the building and you know just talking with them they're like oh yeah this place is haunted it's creepy i don't i don't mess around they're supposed to make rounds and check the floors and stuff but a lot of them didn't because they were afraid never saw anything they just felt things so that brings me to my experience we had to do elevator recall so therefore we started at the 16th floor and we're basically uh, tripping the alarm to see if the elevator descends to the first floor it's supposed to run away from the fire in the event of a fire well we tripped the first alarm on the 16th floor first of many to come and it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, the elevator goes to the, to the first floor. And my partner down at the first floor over the radio says, OK, let me reset. And then you guys can get back on it and go to the 15th floor and proceed. Well, there was an issue with the key. And he wasn't able to reset it. So 15 minutes of waiting around turned into an hour. And an hour turned into three. So in the beginning, I was standing. I'm anxiously waiting. And then for a while after, I sat down. When I decided to just you know, take a load off. It's two o'clock in the morning. I got comfortable and lay down. Like I just lay down there on the carpet, just waiting to hear the call over the radio. And through the corner of my eye I noticed something something massive and I look and it's this giant massive like entity, this this dark cloud that was just, you know I mean it was gigantic. It was like, you know circular in size. It was just this giant black mist, you know, no noticeable features of any kind. And as soon as I noticed it, you know, you kind of ask yourself, am I seeing what I'm seeing, you know? And just as I asked myself, like, you know, I checked my eyes, it almost seemed like it glitched, like it flickered, and then it just disappeared. It was gone. And I thought, wow. And I looked at the guy that was with me, and he's kind of a young guy. He was an apprentice. He, um, I thought he was going to make fun of me or talk a bunch of crap. So I didn't even mention it to him. I and, and I didn't want it to go either way. I didn't want him to talk crap or, you know, get scared. <laughs> we needed his help. So I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything to anybody. And a couple of nights later, we had to split up and do work. And again, I, ca- I catch myself on the 16th floor and I had to go up to the penthouse to basically break a circuit and, you know, kind of troubleshoot it. Well, I get to the 16th floor and I get out into the elevator lobby and I walk out into like the suite area hallway and I have to go into another stairwell that's going to take me up like two more flights of stairs and now I'm at the absolute top of the building which they're calling the penthouse. I think engineering had an office up there or something, building engineering. Anyway, I get to where I need to go and I open the door to the stairwell and it's an extremely heavy and loud door and I open it and it, it squeaks you know, and I, and I let it slam behind me and it makes a bunch of noise. And all that reverberation in the, in the stairwell, you know, is is quite evident. You can hear it all. Well, mind you, there's only two flights of stairs from that door to where I need to go. So I hike myself up. I, I, I go up the two flights of stairs. I get to the top. Uh, just as I'm setting my tool bag down and getting low to take the cover plate off, I hear footsteps they sound identical to the footsteps that I just created with my feet as I stepped into the stairwell you know it was kind of like that diamond plate stairwell with, with, with a concrete mesh sort of thing and you know every step that you took uh, resonated you know the, the acoustics in the in the stairwell are, are there so I can hear it and it sounded identical to the footsteps that I just created you know and I froze I was in absolute terror I thought there's nobody here with me because I would have heard the door open, you know. And I immediately went back to that entity, that mist that I saw. And I knew that it wasn't a good, friendly, positive angel or of any sort. So, yeah, I was terrified. So I just began to pray, you know. I just brought God's presence into the area and, you know, I felt a little better. Of course, you know, I've got goosebumps <laughs> like none other. So, uh, yeah, 60 South Market, downtown San Jose, definitely haunted. Nobody ever talks about it. I've done research looking for things that may have happened, but again, there's a lot of uh, businesses and establishments that run out of there, and that would probably be bad for business. Uh, any negativity brought towards you know towards them, they don't they don't want or need. So, I guess it's kind of hush, or it just could be that it's a really old building and that you know it's residual energy. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but. I listen to your podcast and uh, a couple others enough to know that, you know, there's something out there, something hangs around afterwards. Uh, We can feel it and some of us can see it. So keep up the good work. I enjoy your podcast.
0: Thank you, sir. What would you call that? A dark, vaporous apparition, perhaps? A shadow ghost? Whatever it was. I certainly wouldn't want to share an elevator with one. Now, I did do a little digging, but I was not able to find out what stood at 60 South Market Street prior to the current construction. But I did learn that San Jose is one of the oldest cities in the Golden State, so I suppose none of us should be surprised that some activity still lingers there. And we shouldn't be surprised when people report it. Thanks again, Anthony. Now, folks, I teased this in last week's episode, but it's already happening. The reorder for the brand-new Halloween-themed T-shirts is in. Now, no word yet on when they'll be stocked, but my guest says probably a week or so. So keep your eyes glued to social media, or wait for me to mention it here on the show. And before we move on, announcing now for the first time Now through October 31st, the 2022 Fall Hoodie pre-order is officially open. And this year we have three designs to choose from. A black zip-up featuring Julian Meyer's original Mirrored Men design. A black pullover-style hoodie featuring our Cryptids design by Greg Johnson. And for you Patreon supporters, or future supporters, I suppose, a black zip-up option of our Glow in the Dark Patreon-exclusive phone booth design by Jordan Hirschberger. Now, there's more info on that Patreon version of the hoodie later on in the show. But for everyone else, visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com forward slash shop to place your pre-order today. And don't forget, this would make an incredible gift for that monster in your life. Now, those pre-ordered hoodies are expected to ship in mid-November. So again, that's monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop or just click on that shop tab. Now, given that we're nearing the end of October and inching ever close to Samhain, All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, etc., I thought maybe we should start introducing some of the characters associated with these creepiest of sacred days. So here with a story about a witch... Please join me in welcoming Mark from California to the program.
1: Oh, yeah, hello, Derek. This is Mark out of California, and I got a crazy little witch encounter that actually happened to get my grandma and my mom and my grandpa, like, back in the 80s. I remember hearing the story as a little kid and just always being just freaked out about it, you know, and like, it just always stuck with me. So I recently went back to them and I asked all the details on it. And so here it is. There was this dirt road that had a big old oak tree in the middle on the side of the dirt road. And there was two houses on each end of the dirt road. So people had to walk down the dirt road and they passed by this tree. The story was and the history was that yeah, that tree used to be used to hang witches. It was like hometown lore type of stuff. And like everybody believed that tree was used to hang witches, right? And then um, every time someone would always walk by, you would hear laughing coming around or from the tree. And, like, the people would stop and, like, look. And it, it always would happen. Especially at night, that was the scariest part because, like, it would turn into, like, hysterical laughing. Like, they're just laughing just pretty maniacally, you know? And it got to the point where the people, when they were going to anticipate passing the tree, they would run and book it right past it so you wanna hear the laughing. And it would happen all the time. So one day, you know, my grandma's out there. I guess she was walking down... And there was this human-sized owl that was sitting on top of the branches looking at my grandma. But the weird part is that this owl had, like, a lady's face. So, my grandma is freaked out. She goes to my grandpa, which is an ex-World War II veteran, you know. He goes, he doesn't believe her. He looks at it, and he's just, like, in disbelief. Like, he sees it, and my grandma seen it, and my mom seen it. All three of them witnessed this, all on the same day. So my grandpa is like cursing it out, he telling it to leave, and he's just staring at them. It's a big old owl with a human face. My grandpa told me that my grandpa heard it talk, it said a couple words, and he ran to the house and he got his shotgun. He aimed it at it, he told it to leave. It didn't want to leave, it just kept staring at them. You know, so he shot it. It fell off of the tree. It lands on the ground, right? He ties the foot up on a rope, and he ties it to the tree trunk. You can't believe this, you know? It's a huge owl. Like, it's a huge owl, like, like a disfigured lady's face kind of thing. And he was going to go into town to go get the sheriff because he didn't know what the heck it was, you know? So as he's going inside to go get the car keys, yeah, my grandma's watching the owl, you know, right there by the tree. She's still outside. My grandpa comes back outside, and my grandma starts to run because the owl starts to turn to a naked lady but with an owl's face this time but there was no gunshot wounds the lady was just like unconscious and even my grandma says like that was the scariest thing that that she's ever seen and my grandpa and my grandma and my mom all hop in their ford and they all go to town to go with the sheriff i think they had like a landline but there was something wrong with like the power or something like that. That's what my grandpa said. So she couldn't make a phone call for anybody to go out there. Like get a physically go out out to town, you know. And they lived in the country at the time. So then he come back with the sheriff, and to everybody freaking disbelief, it's just a rope with a big pile of white feathers. No blood, no nothing. It's a big pile of white feathers. The sheriff thought my grandpa, my grandma, my mom were all crazy. Yeah, my grandpa told him, I want you to come back here tonight and just walk by this tree and tell me if I'm crazy. So the sheriff goes out there, he hears the laughing again. He runs to my grandpa's house and knocks on the door. He goes, okay, I believe you. You need to do something about this tree. You know what I mean? So they like blessed it it three times and nothing would happen to it. They they try to burn it. It wouldn't catch on fire. They try to cut it down with the chainsaw. Every chain would like snap off or there would always be something wrong. It got to the point where yeah, my grandpa had to demolish both of the homes. He'd cover up the dirt road, you know, and just leave the tree in the middle of nowhere. And he had to move out, you know, because his whole family was getting terrorized by this tree. And, like, the community would, would all come out. There would be people on his property, like, at midnight and 1 a.m., you know, having these encounters, too, you know, and he didn't want that. So he basically just packed up and left. And as far as I know, to this day, that tree is still out there. I don't know the exact location, but I just know that it was somewhere in Kansas, I think. Because in Kansas, they came out here to California. But this happened when they're living in Kansas. And yeah, um, that's pretty much it. It's a hard one, yeah. I understand. I don't know if anybody's going to believe this, but that's my grandma, my mom, and my grandpa's. bewitching counter. encounter. And thank you, man. I love the show. Have a good day.
0: Thank you, Mark. Now, I can't help but think this story sounds very reminiscent of the Lechuza or Owl Witch stories to come out of places like Mexico. So to hear that this took place in the state of Kansas comes as a bit of a shock. The only witch I can think of from Kansas was last seen fighting over a pair of ruby slippers. Now, unfortunately, I was unable to find any additional information on this tale, but if the tree is still standing then there is a chance that the activity, or at least the legend, still lives on. And I happen to know we have a fair share of listeners in the Sunflower State. So if the story sounds familiar to you, hit us up. Until then, thanks Mark, for sharing your entry with us. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Have you ever felt stuck focusing on a problem rather than a solution? I can say from experience, when you learn how to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver and make it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or how small. Therapy has helped give me the tools I need to deal with depression and trauma in a better, more healthy way. And therapy can help you unload stress heal emotionally, and grow as a person. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, more affordable than traditional therapy, and entirely online, so you can connect with your therapist from anywhere. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P, dot com, forward slash, Monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to that spooky stuff. Now this next one comes to us from a familiar voice. Please welcome Joe from The Road. Back to the program.
4: Hey Derek, this is Joe, the truck driver. I've called in before about the Skinwalkers and such out there on old US 666 in New Mexico. I was listening to your Season 12, Episode 16, and uh, about Javier and his uh, suspected Bigfoot encounter he had. And it reminded me when we lived up there in Farmington, uh, we were coming back. It was, I remember correctly, it was about 1981. It was... <sighs> I think in November, if I remember correct, we were coming back from Texas, spending Thanksgiving with some family. And we had a lot of my relatives with us from my uh, mom's side of the family that was from out there in New Mexico. And we were between Cuba, New Mexico, and San Isidro, New Mexico on US 550, where it's kind of mountainy and hilly and forcing. And we had to stop because everybody was tired and such. And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning when we pulled over, and we were we had two pickups, campers on them, and everybody was getting into beds and everything, just going to hunker down for the night. And at about 3, 3.30 in the morning, I was in the front pickup, it was my dad's work truck, and one of my cousins come running up and was banging on the window, on the passenger window, and it just scared us. But he was even more scared. His eyes were huge and everything. He goes, there's something on the hill, we gotta go. And I remember turning and looking and just seeing a silhouette of something tall and shaggy. And it had that, people say it's a rotteny smell, but to me, it was like a matted dog smell. I guess you could say The, the, the wind was coming from the east. You know, it wasn't a strong wind, but a breeze. And there was at least, but it was my dad, my mom, me, my brother, my sister, my aunt, four cousins. We all saw this. So we got up, fired up the pickups, and we took off. Well, we made it up to Farmington. We all went to bed. The next day, Dad had to get back to work, and he was working in an oil field up there. So I went with him because every chance I could because that was me getting my dirt bike. But I wanted to go, but at the same time, I didn't want to go because it was uh, its pretty freaky what happened. And I know there's pictures of the footprints that they found, and they were a good 16 to 18 inches long and at least about 6 8 inches wide. There were some spots that they saw like Hair hanging in the trees where he would have ran back here. I'm just using he, you know, could have been a female. I don't know. And could have ran back in the bush and everything when we started up. And what woke up, my cousins and my mom and my aunts and my sister was something was hitting the side of the camper on the pickup, like pelting it, like somebody was throwing rocks at it. And that's what they woke up to and seeing that silhouette up there. And they did remember hearing some whistling, but they thought nothing of it because, you know, they were tired. They thought they were imagining stuff, and they just went back to sleep after that. But that's about all I can remember. I don't really remember who's got the pictures anymore. I think my cousin Charlene does, or my aunt Matthew does. But I remember there's pictures taken of the footprints in the snow, and uh, the hair that they found hanging in the branches, I don't know if they've ever did anything with it, ever reported it or what. I was just 10 years old at the time, so that's that's about all that I can remember. You know, being that young, I did not want to go back and go really chases down. It was a partly cloudy night. It wasn't a full moon. <sighs> Probably about three-quarter moon. There, there was enough light you could see. You know, pretty decent. And the way the highway was at that point, the side of the hill that they cut through, it's a steep embankment going up to the top of what's the original hill. And that's where he was standing at. That's where everybody was going up. And, yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah, I I, I totally blocked that out until I heard Javier's story about that when he was living up there in the Albuquerque area. And it kind of kicked that back into my memory so yeah I thought I'd call and let you know so still remember it pretty good so for it being 40 years ago yeah so all right enjoy the show keep up the great work
0: thanks thank you Joe it's good to hear you're still bouncing around out there now there are states in this country that most novel Bigfoot enthusiasts immediately associate with the big fella California Oregon, Washington, Florida, Ohio, etc. Then there are those states that you really don't hear that much from, squatch-wise. Nevada, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, and yes, even New Mexico. And at first glance, many of these places seem completely void of any monster activity. But when you really begin to dig in, you start to realize that these often-neglected states harbor small pockets of activity, hidden in high, rugged country, far from civilization's peeping eye. And the state in which Joe had his encounter is certainly no different. You don't typically hear of many Sasquatch sightings from the Land of Enchantment. I think folks around those parts are too busy watching the skies rather than the tree line. But like I said, there are pockets, small greenbelt-type areas that still cling to the legend of creatures in the creek beds and monsters on the mountains. And in New Mexico, their secret little pocket isn't all that far from where Joe's family had their experience, a hundred miles at best, 100 miles to a pine-covered mountain town Nestled 8,700 feet in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. A little place called Red River. And around there, his existence isn't such a secret.
5: In Red River, people are murmuring about something big.
0: Possible Sasquatch here in town.
5: Bigfoot, that
0: is. There's also a gentleman that came up to me in 2014 with some footprints that uh, he found behind his cabin that he recently purchased and those footprints didn't make any sense to him maybe 18 inches by 7 or 8 inches wide and that's not the
5: only sighting that's been reported dozens over the years
0: people have heard tree knocking up here the whoops uh, large footprints have been found there's been smells that are associated with with Bigfoot activity
6: finding Bigfoot is no small feat
0: just because you don't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist scenes believing Maybe you need to come up to Red River, get in the woods, see if you can see any evidence of the Sasquatch activity. Now that clip from KOB News 4 out of New Mexico. So they say the creature is out there, in those pockets. And if you don't believe me, just ask Joe. Thank you again, Joe, for calling in, and stay safe out there. Oh, Joe, and please, see if you can't get a hold of those photographs. We would certainly love to see them. Now, folks, this next one just might make any skeptic listening second guess their stance. Andrea from California. Welcome to the show.
6: Hi, Derek. My name is Andrea. I am calling from Oakland, California. This story takes place not too long ago, November 2021. I live in a house that is very old. It's about 130 years old, old uh, California Victorian. It's beautiful, has a lot of character, many different lives have lived here. And anyway, I uh, have myself long been fairly sensitive to the supernatural realm and uh, have, you know, had encounters with spirits, ghosts. And the story I'm sharing is is pretty mild and kind of cute. Um, I've had lots of traumatic events, unfortunately, but I thought I would share something kind of fun. So anyway, I have lived in this house for about a decade, and I have felt like it has a ghost. Uh, but that ghost doesn't, I feel like it doesn't really live here full time. I, like, I feel like it comes and goes sometimes. I feel its presence, and then there will be, like, large gaps of time. Then it comes back, and something will happen, like like a door will open or close, or, you know, I'll feel like a presence. But it's never scary. It just sort of comes and goes. So anyway, I have experiences for a little while, not the full time that we've lived here, but maybe the last few years. And I had this experience in November where I was sitting on the couch with my husband and he does not believe in anything supernatural, spiritual, paranormal, just does not very, very stoic and analytical And I was telling him, like, I think we have a ghost that kind of comes and goes and hangs out. And he's just like, okay. And, you know, I'm just kind of chattering at him about this. And as I'm doing that, I'm sitting on the couch, like, we're on opposite ends. And I'm, you know, looking at him as I talk. And behind him, behind his head, we have this little kitchen cart with, like, uh, the top has kind of, like, raised surfaces. So it's kind of like a drawer without a top on it, if that makes sense. So it's not like a flat surface that things can roll off of. Like uh, there's sort of like a an edge there, a barrier. And anyway, I had a vase filled with dried lavender stems. And as I'm chattering on about this ghost that I think, you know, is a part-time roommate, I watched this vase lift up like somebody picked it up with their hand and like lifted it up out of the kitchen cart and I watched it tip over and pour the dried lavender on the floor and then it comes back to the center and is placed back down on the kitchen cart and I mean it was like out of the movie it was so crazy and like goofy (laughs) and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, like, look, turn around, I said to my husband, like, turn around, and look what just happened, and he turns around, and he sees just the lavender that has been spilled, because the vase has already been put down, and he's like, huh, uh, that's weird, and I was like, I just watched, you know, I told him what I saw, the vase, lift up, tip over, spill out the contents of the lavender, and He sat back down, and he just kind of looks at at me like I'm, you know, dumb. (laughs) And he's like, well, it's right over the vent. And while it's true that this, like, maybe three-foot-tall kitchen cart, steel kitchen cart is sitting over an air vent, like, that air vent would have to be blasting at a force that it is not functionally capable of doing (laughs) in order to lift up a vase and make it, you know, tip over. And furthermore, like, that vase would have to also fall with the contents, right? Like, it doesn't make sense for just the contents to be spilled out and then the vase is, like, placed back down. So anyway, after that had happened, you know, I'm just kind of, like, in shock. Not afraid, more, like, uh, laughing because it's just so crazy but, like, funny and, and unexpected, And not long after that, you know, he, my husband just kind of brushes me off and, you know, his really bad explanation that defies physics was, I guess, sufficient for him. And I kind of walk (laughs) into the bathroom and, you know, I just kind of say out loud, I'm like, well, that was really nice of you. You know, next time, make sure that you do it so that he's watching and You know, I swear I could feel like this kind of like breeze go past me, like an acknowledgement and an acknowledgement, not just of an interaction between me and this spirit, but also that like they were goofing off and and having fun kind of at my expense, but not in a harmful way, in a silly, like friendly way. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that story because I think it's really sweet and I'm happy that the spirit that comes and hangs out with me periodically seems to be not malicious, seems to be pretty cool and chill. And uh, I have had experiences, like I said uh, at the beginning of my story, that are really, really terrifying and really traumatic and life-changing. I'm trying to work up the courage to share those with you eventually. But for now, I wanted to start with something kind of sweet. And hopefully I'll have more sort of little fun encounters with our uh, wandering uh, spirit friend in the future thanks for all you do i love your show i love this listener community and i just look forward to hearing new episodes whenever they come out thank you derek take care bye
0: thanks andrea of course the skeptical husband missed the entire event that's how these things always work out almost as if it was intentional So thanks again, Andrea, for taking the time to submit, and we're looking forward to your other entries. Spooky season is in full swing, and when it comes to microdosing, it's all treats and no tricks. Microdosing helps find the sweet spot between CBD and THC that gives you the benefits of both. A mood lift, a creative boost, and relief from pain and anxiety. Now, tonight's show is sponsored by Microdose Gummies by Lumi Labs. Now, Microdose Gummies deliver a perfect entry-level dose of THC and CBD for people that want to feel just that right amount of good. Now, you heard me right. I said THC. But before you tense up, keep in mind that Microdose Gummies are completely legal everywhere in the United States. And while these gummies contain cannabinoids, remember, We're not talking about getting high in that stereotypical sense. I'm talking about small, entry-level doses to help you chill out at the end of a long day and get a good night's rest. Now, Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to Microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes, but again, that's Microdose.com. And the code Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now, back to the nightmare fuel. And that brings us to our final call of the regular portion of the program. And here to properly send us off is an anonymous caller from the land of 10,000 lakes.
7: Hey, Derek. Calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I actually recorded this a few days ago and meant to send it in, but I never got around to it and I ended up sending to re-record it because of something that would become clear I guess at the end of this. I started listening about four seasons ago, been listening every week since, but with the older seasons, I just kind of randomly jumped through them. So I don't remember which episode or season it was that inspired me to call, but it was actually two episodes. One about a guy that saw an orange orb and then another one, it More recent, I think, where a guy brought up the idea that streetlights turn off a lot around him. Um, So when I was maybe 10 years old, my friend and I would walk up to the grocery store, video store, you know, a few blocks from our house. We started to notice there was this one streetlight that would often turn off when we were around it. Well, since then, I think I've had this debate going on in my head of whether or not streetlights tend to turn off disproportionately around me. Or if maybe I just noticed streetlights turn off more than other people notice. I lived in one house in a part of Minneapolis, a a suburb of Minneapolis, for about 10 years. And there was no streetlights, hardly any streetlights in this entire uh, neighborhood. There was one right outside my house, and that one would frequently turn off when I would walk outside or when I'd pull up in my car. I moved. new neighborhood I moved to, Minneapolis, has streetlights everywhere i think there's three on a block one on each corner and one in the middle and as far as i can tell they all seem to work pretty well the one that seems to be faulty and turns off that's the one that's outside of my house and i've just noticed this all the time now i some things i know for a fact is i cannot will the lights to turn off in fact i feel like it happens more often when i'm not thinking about it but i i am like maybe like feeling something emotional although that could be bullshit too so the one night though This kind of the orb and something with the streetlights comes to kind of a head where I was probably 19, 20 years old. A friend of mine works in St. Paul at a laundromat, and I was going to pick him up. It was late at night, maybe like 11 o'clock. In the fall, it had been kind of raining all day. There was fog, I want to say. I don't know. That might just be my imagination, but I feel like there was fog. It was just a creepy, creepy night. I remember that. And I, uh, I pull into the parking lot, which was an alley. You pulled into an alley, and the alley was, could only enter and exit out of the same alley. And there were three buildings, I want to say, maybe four, that kind of came together so that you were enclosed in this little parking lot with maybe four or five spaces and a dumpster in there. And it was just like a creepy little spot where if someone was hiding back there, you know, they could get you. And there was only one streetlight illuminating the parking lot, and I'm sitting there. And of course, bam, you know, the streetlight turns off. So I'm like, alright, you know, there we go again. Spooky. But I can still see, because I was in St. Paul, there were other streetlights on, so I could still see the streetlight pretty well. It was just the area kind of down where I was, down in the parking lot. It was really dark. And so I look back up at the streetlight, and maybe about five feet away from the streetlight is this thing that I can only describe as looks like someone took a huge piece of orange construction paper and like first they let it sit out in the sun for a while so that it became super like faded and then they cut it into a giant circle and I'm talking like uh, four or five feet and I'm looking at it trying to like cock my head because it doesn't seem to have any depth to it and that's where I get the sense of like you know it's almost like a two-dimensional shape and as I'm looking at it, trying to figure out what it is it starts to rotate or not rotate but like almost like a whirlpool right and it's just kind of wobbling and it starts to pick up speed and as it does it starts to shrink and as it goes faster it gets smaller and smaller until poof gone so I'm sitting there like no oh what the hell is that what just happened and the side door pops open and my body jumps in and he's like jeez man you look you saw a ghost so I tell him what happened and In doing so, I bring up the light turning off. And that leads to the two of us talking about how he also has experienced this, where he feels like streetlights turn off frequently for him. Which, again, kind of makes us think, well, is it that streetlights turn off a lot, or are we just two people who, for whatever reason, notice that streetlights turn off? So we decide that we're going to, as we're driving, now we're talking and driving, we cross the bridge, so we're back in Minneapolis, back in my buddy's neighborhood where I was going to drop him off. We decide we're going to test it out. So we're gonna drive down the streets of Minneapolis, which is a straight line, you can go pretty far. And we're gonna turn every time the street light turns off. So we start going. I think we, it took a while, like five or six blocks, and boom, streetlight street light turns off. So we turn, and like, you know, kind of a little excited. Like I remember feeling like kind of anxious, like, you know, if this doesn't work, then what, you know, then, then it is, just I notice it more. But we drive another three, four blocks, turns off and almost like the same way almost like that orb where as it sped up it got smaller quicker um same thing started happening where we would turn and now we'd only have to drive a block or two and we'd see a light turn off to the point where then like i remember we were just like both of us were sitting up with our faces pressed against the windshield practically just super excited and this went on for i mean we must have turned eight or nine times until finally i was coming around a corner and we were moving like pretty quick and i I can't remember exactly what happened, why I pulled in and came to a stop. But we came in, hit to a stop, and we happened to be right outside my buddy's apartment building. And we figured that we weren't, I think we stopped then, because we were like, how much longer could this really go on? Like, we didn't want it to end by not having a street light turn off. And so we got out. So that's the story of, you know, those two things coming together. I've never heard, you know, other people talk about street lights, so I'm curious if a lot of other people notice that street lights turn off frequently or not. And I will say then again that um, I had previously recorded this a few days ago and just never got around to sending it. was busy with stuff you know but last night my one year old daughter was having a hard time falling asleep it was like 11.30 um, so I put her in the car and we you know driving in my neighborhood and it occurs to me you know what the hell I'll try this the same thing that I tried with my buddy all those years back and I'm just gonna drive in a straight line I can go pretty far in my neighborhood I can go about a mile before I would have to turn, crossing just one busy street. So I start going, and I can see too, I can see far, far, it's pretty flat, and I'm watching her, I got my mirror, like we have one of those things set up where you have a mirror on the back seat, and then I can adjust my rear view mirror, so I can look and see her face and see if she's falling asleep. So I'm checking that every once in a while I'm driving, I'm going to drive the first line of streets south, and no street light turns off. So I turn around on, and start heading back towards my house. Again. No street lights turn off. So I turn another time, going back away from my house. No street lights turn off. Now I come back and I'm on the, this time I'm, my daughter's falling asleep and I'm on the street that I actually live on. So I'm like, all right, you know, this is it. I'm going to just come back and uh, park. So I'm coming back. I didn't pull into my driveway. I parked right on the side of my house because it'd be easier to get my daughter quicker. I don't have to open the, the gate to like the backyard and stuff. I thought I'd less of a chance of getting my daughter up. Mom got. So I'm parked and I got the street light that turns off frequently outside of my house is, is right up to my left. I get out and, and that street light, it doesn't turn off, it's fine. Um, but I just kind of have this kind of like weird feeling and I, and I look around and I realize that it is super dark. And I look down the street that i just driven down and I can see that at least two of the street lights are off. I know that my block, my house is on like sort of the bottom of a slight decline. So I couldn't see that far down. It was one spot where I couldn't see how many lights had turned off. But and I know fact those three lights were on when I drove down it. Yeah, that's my story, you know. I think there's probably a very logical answer for both of those things, but hey, it's cool. I wonder if anyone else has any experiences like that. Thanks.
0: Thank you, caller. Now that orange ball of energy. I have no idea what that was or if it's at all connected with the rest of the story. But I can elaborate on the effects on the streetlights. That phenomena is known as SLI, or streetlight interference. And those that do the manipulating are often called sliders. A slider is a person that unconsciously, or consciously, causes
2: electronic interference or electrical disturbances by merely going around certain appliances and objects. These disturbances usually occur when the individual is in an extreme state of excitement, anger, fear, happiness, or even with a clear mind. Sliders have been known to blow out light bulbs, stop clocks, turn off street lights, and even affect television sets.
0: Now that clip courtesy of you are creators on YouTube. And the original video goes on to feature five reportedly true slider stories, so if you're seeking more content on the subject, there you go. And while I've seen coverage of this phenomena grow over the years, we've still yet to see any sort of concrete evidence. Yet, yeah, that doesn't stop people like our caller from claiming such things to happen. So pay attention to the lights around you the next time you find yourself out at night. Let me know if you discover anything interesting. Until then, thank you again, Caller, for sharing that entry. Because that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Eddie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you don't mind, please do us a solid and give us a rate and review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you can leave a review. Five stars and a few kind words go a long, long way to continue the growth of the show. Oh, and the same can be said for YouTube as well. Don't forget about that hoodie pre-order. Again, that link is MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com forward slash shop. And finally, the terrifying score you heard this evening. Well that was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co. music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it spooky out there. And until next time. Tonight's secret entry isn't so much terrifying as it is disturbing for all the parties involved. Please welcome Anonymous from Parts Unknown.
5: Hi, hey Derek. Well, so I have an aunt who about six years ago died under mysterious circumstances. It was my senior year of college, and then I graduated, I moved far away, and I got a teaching job. In my first year of teaching, I had a little boy in my class, who had very strong ties to his Native American heritage. And we were all sitting at lunch one day, eating, and he called my name. Well, actually, he called me Teacher. That's what he called me. He's like, Teacher, your aunt is really funny. I'm related to no one in this town, so I'm thinking he's got me confused with someone else. And I go, My aunt? Where did you meet her? And he points at one of the empty spots at the table and goes, Well, she's sitting right there, and she's really proud of you. And no one is sitting in this spot. And I asked him if he could describe her to me. And my aunt was a very eclectic woman. And he perfectly described her hair and told me all about her. And it 100% was her. And I thought that was super cool that she had come to visit at my work at some point and had, you know, had this interaction with my student. But again, I didn't talk to any of my coworkers about this. I didn't talk about her. And oh, after that, it would have been three years after that. One of my coworkers invited us all over, and she would do kind of spooky themed parties. And that year, she had a medium come over. And I assumed no one was going to step forward and talk to me. Like I hadn't lost anybody, like a mom or a child, like some of these other teachers had. And the guy asked, whose innards had passed away. And I was like, well, it might be mine. And he proceeded again to describe her perfectly and talk about how proud she was of me and just kind of show these really cool stuff that you'd want to hear. Now, where this gets a little freaky is I had said she had died under mysterious circumstances. And the official ruling on her death was that it was accidental, but I personally have never accepted that and that's why I'm trying to keep this kind of vague just on the off chance I have family listening and I have my own theory about how she died and in my theory it was murder and I'm pretty sure I know who did it and at the very end of this after he's describing my aunt to me and talking about how she's proud he goes oh she also says that you're right but you need to forgive her and the person I suspect of having killed her is a female um, who's also a family member. So I took that as her confirming to me that I was correct in that she had been um, murdered by this person, but that I needed to let it go and kind of move on with my life because it was like something that was always eating at me inside. So I just thought that was kind of cool that twice my aunt came to visit me and confirmed her death for me. And after that the lady who had hosted the party came to me and was like what was that about and I opened up to her because we were really good friends so now pretty much everyone knows (laughs) at my school that my aunt confirmed her murder but just thought I'd share that haven't uh, had any visits from her since but maybe I did what she needed me to do and I stopped being so obsessed and angry about it and you know what goes around comes around because that relative is currently doing jail time for quite a long time for a totally different crime, so she still got what was coming to her in the end, I guess. Okay, thank you. Love the show. Bye.
0: Thank you, caller. Either this is something paranormal or this is a series of coincidences that border on unbelievable. Although the medium that our caller visited, it does sound to me like they were practicing some sort of cold reading, which essentially is a parlor trick where they ask you broad questions and allow the victim to fill in all the blanks. Here are the folks at VideoJug. Better break it down.
1: Cold reading is a popular device used by individuals who employ high-probability guesses about a person and then pick up on signals as to whether their guesses are in the right direction or not. Cold reading is often used by psychics who aren't really psychic, who will claim the information is coming from the spirit world, when actually the source of it is the
0: subject's body language, appearances, and responses to questioning. Now don't get duped by this practice. A practice exercised by many television psychics. Or, learn the technique for yourself. The rest of the video I shared essentially teaches you how the link to which can be found, of course, in the show notes. But you know that certainly doesn't account for the child claiming to see the ant, and the specific details covered by the medium, whom I should say could be legit for all I know, just making an observation. Now I can say that there is something strange going on in this story. But I am happy to hear that the aunt seems to be content, wherever she is. So thanks again, caller. We appreciate you chiming in. And this, folks, is where we leave the known path and push our way through the proverbial brambles. But you know it's not too late. You can join us by visiting patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast and once you're there sign up for that five dollar level and get instant access to tonight's bonus content and some 50 plus more hours all ad free all right at your fingertips and for those more budgetary minded you can always get the main content ad free for only one buck by visiting that same link Patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us Podcast. Now, we begin tonight's Jaunt Beyond with this eerie entry from Washington State.
4: Hey, I'm just gonna keep it just straight to the point. It's kind of freaking me out. I'm just gonna keep it anonymous. I'm from Colorado. I called the other day about the stuff at my house happening. I'm trying to relocate
1: all the way across the state because